Hi there, I'm Austin Hopkins. And I'm Haley Robinson. And this is the Wild Idaho Podcast, coming to you from the Idaho Conservation League. The Idaho Conservation League is Idaho's leading voice for conservation, protecting the air you breathe, the water you drink, and the land you love. Each month, we'll be exploring a new topic or current event that impacts the environment in Idaho. Join us to learn about the work that we're doing and how you can get involved. Thanks for listening. So welcome, everyone, back again to another Wild Idaho podcast episode. Um, We are sitting here in Boise, and it's a beautiful October day. The sun is shining, and the leaves are turning. And our Boise office, our HQ, has some special guests. We have our friends and colleagues, both, from northern Idaho here visiting us this weekend. So we thought it'd be a good time to do a little check-in, find out what's going on up north, uh, and just sit around and, and chat with our friends for, for a few minutes. So, uh, Matt Nikeel, welcome. And we have a special new staff member, Shelby. Shelby, welcome to the Wild Idaho Podcast, and welcome to ICL. Um, thank you guys so much for joining us. Awesome. Thanks. Yeah, Good thanks to be for down having here. Um, we wanted to kick this off. Oh, and Haley. <laughs> <laughs> Not with Haley. Yeah. And my co-host, yep. as always, um, Haley Robinson. Haley, welcome back to the Wild Idaho Podcast. Thanks, Austin. Feeling very welcome right now. Oh, okay. That was my bad. We'll edit this out. Probably not. But, um, yeah. But yeah, Shelby, we wanted to kick this off with introducing you and, and bringing you into the ICL family and giving the ICL listeners... Um, uh, just a little background. So what, what brought you to ICL? Give us the story. Yeah. Um, let's see. I was born and raised in the Seattle area. Went to school up at Western Washington University. Majored in environmental science. And had a span- or got a Spanish minor as well. Oh, muy bueno. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and after that, uh, dabbled in a variety of environmental education work and nonprofit work, whether that was working for the Seattle Pacific Science Center, um, also helping out with Nooksack Salmon Enhancement Association and Skagit Fisheries Enhancement Group. Uh, Yeah, and kind of was itching to make some sort of difference on a larger scale, like more internationally, and that attracted me to apply for the Peace Corps. And so from 2016 to January, this past January, uh, I was a Peace Corps volunteer over in the Philippines, working as a coastal resource management volunteer. And so my partner and I were there together, and he had grown up for part of his life in the Sandpoint, Idaho area. And so that drew us back to Sandpoint uh, this past spring. And just kind of through making connections in the community and whatnot, found this job at ICL and applied, and now I'm here. Cool. Really excited. Well, we're excited to have you, Shelby. Um, can you tell a little bit about what you'll be doing for ICL in your new role as Community Engagement Associate? Yeah, I'll be dabbling in putting on events and programs um, and linking our community and local, uh, well, community members and other locals around the Sandpoint, like North Idaho area, uh, to the programs and events the ICL is putting on, as well as dabbling in a little bit of development work, like contacting members and thanking them, um, and that sort of thing, awesome. as well as teaming up 
and spreading the knowledge uh, from Matt's work as well as Brad Smith's work. And to give folks a glimpse into the ICL way, it, you've already actually, even though you're new, you've kind of already done an event for ICL, the Scott Reed Dinner. Yeah. Um, and that was like week one or two. You just kind of jumped into it. and It was a little crazy. Yeah. Awesome. Um, but you did an amazing job. So um, nice yeah. work. And, and yeah, welcome to ICL. Great. Stoked to have you with us. Um, so, well, yeah, other, other than some new faces in the office, what's new? How's North Idaho? Yeah, it's beautiful up there right now. Uh, we're at like the height of fall, and the colors are super pretty. And um, yeah, in terms of like issues we're working on, well, I guess just to like uh, pin up that last topic, like it's super helpful to have Shelby on um, for Brad and I. Like we've already been really like cross pollinating and like talking about the issues and how do we like take really like hard to understand technical issues or policy decisions and like communicate that to people and get people engaged in a way where they can participate and make a difference too. And so like, it's been, I think learning from a fire hose, Shelby's only been on (laughs) for like a month and a half maybe. And, um, she's already like speaking the language and learning really quick. And, um, so it's been super helpful to fill out the office. Awesome. That's awesome. It is. It's kind of amazing. I mean, the field offices. So you guys up in Sandpoint, and then our Ketchum crew. I mean, you guys do so much with such a sparse crew. Um, y- you know, the, the work that, that Matt and Brad do is so technical, and to have someone who who speaks that technical language, but then can communicate that to a broad group of members, super impressive. Um, what you guys get done with three people. I think is always really fascinating. Yeah, Sometimes, nice job, team. yeah, that's just a good old ura. So <laughs> nice work. Yeah, Matt. What are some of the irons that you guys have in the fire on the program side up in North Idaho? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, like, one thing Shelby and I have been talking about more lately is our work on coal strip. And um, for those who don't know about it, um, in North Idaho, from about uh, more or less like Grangeville North. We get our electricity from the Avista uh, Public Utility that's headquartered in Spokane, Washington. And um, so they make all of our energy decisions, and that implicates climate change because they ultimately decide, like, where we get our electricity from, whether it's from renewables, like solar and wind power, or if it's from uh, fossil fuels like coal and natural gas. And so um, what what we've done in North Idaho is essentially model what our energy associate then auto does in Boise is we participate with, um, Avista and get involved in, uh, advocating that they transition us to a hundred percent renewable energy. And one of the ways we're focusing on, uh, we're focused, we're trying to do that now is by, um, uh, focusing in on their, uh, how they get energy from a coal, uh, coal-fired power plant that's called Coal Strip. And it's in the town of Coal Strip, Montana, which is like southeastern Montana. Um, we get about, in North Idaho, we get about 10% of our electricity from that coal plant. And it just so happens to be the fifth leading greenhouse gas emitting facility in the whole United States. So wow. super significant. And if a Vista could get Idaho out of that, it would not only be good for us by saving us money on our electric bill in the long term, it would really put a dent in preventing climate change. So that's why we're focusing on that. And so 
Shelby and I have been talking about. How can we continue to do like the technical stuff that Ben Otto has really championed for I- ICL, but also in addition to that, like get people more informed and more engaged about that. This one of the things I think is so fascinating about the energy work is. Correct me if I'm wrong here, but but Coal Strip not only it's you know provides some energy to Montana, to Idaho, to Washington as well, right? So you have, I mean, you're, you're working across state lines, probably in all sorts of different groups of people, different ideas, different economies. I mean, it is, it, it's a big project. You know, you can't just go and say, please don't do this. I mean, you guys are really bringing the heat with, you know, bringing the economics, bringing the climate change in. Like, is that? How do you handle such a big project? Yeah. Um, well, one of the ways we do it is we participate with, like, a group of regional partners. Mm-hmm. So, like you said, um, Avista is headquartered in Spokane, but it distributes um, electricity uh, mainly to eastern Washington and Idaho. Um, but because it is a part owner of the coal strip plant, there are other part owners, too. Mm-hmm. So there's a utility in Mon- there are utilities in Montana, Oregon, and Washington who also part own this plant, which, like you said, brings in this like regional. Uh, it makes it a regional issue. issue. And so we uh, participate with groups in Montana and Washington um, to talk about how do we coordinate all these different utilities to get out of this coal plant that's going to be like economically detrimental to anyone who's buying power from it. Um, and so participating in meetings and talking with these other groups is super helpful to like coordinate. How can we be the most effective from our seat in Idaho? And when we talk about divesting from a coal plant like this, can you, do you have a sense of how big of a piece of the pie Idaho is since there's multiple stakeholders in this? So how much would that affect this specific coal plant if Idaho ducked out? Mm -hmm. So it's a little confusing, but like you can think of coal strip as like four smokestacks. It's called they're technically four units that produce power. One, two, three, and four. And uh, the first two units are already slated to be retired and ended in the early 2020s. So we're only dealing with units three and four. And Avista owns 15% of unit three and 15% of unit four. So a significant chunk. And uh, then it's um, distributed, it's, it's owned by a mix of other utilities. So we own essentially 15% of units three and four. So pretty heavy hit if Idaho decides to get out of there. Mm-hmm. And similarly in the reverse, if another utility, mm-hmm. say like Puget Sound Energy in Seattle, they own, I believe around 25% of units three and 25% of unit four, if they get out, right? Like it hits a Vista and then Idaho customers, right? Like it's essentially like you wouldn't be splitting the cost of running that plant among, I think there's like five total owners and if Puget Sound were to get out, you're, you have to split those, those costs amongst only four people. And so theoretically like a Vista and Idaho rate pairs would have to pay more if there are fewer utilities buying into this thing. Yeah. So, so if you live in a house with five roommates and a roommate moves out, then the other four still have to pay the rent. The rent doesn't exactly. Yeah. 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 And so that's what we're worried about is like, there are like Puget sound has been making faster moves at like planning an exit from coal strip. Mm-hmm. So we don't want a Vista being left holding a more expensive, um, 
resource and, and, and having Idaho ratepayers have to pay more into that. So we're trying to make sure Vista is in line with all the other utilities that are planning early exits. I don't know if you can talk about this, but how, I mean, a Vista has to be thinking about the, you know, being left with the big bill. How receptive are they to this idea of, of getting out early? Like, do they, are they kind of picking up what you're putting down with like, Hey, we, we don't want to be left with this. Um, or are they more hesitant to get on board? Historically, they've been like really out of line Mm -hmm. with the rest of the utilities. So like, Puget Sound was making moves to get out early, to set themselves up to get out early, because they can see, like, coal is getting more expensive, like, for all sorts of different reasons. And um, they can, they're making good, like, forward-looking judgments. But historically, Avista has said, we have no anticipate, like, we're, we anticipate operating this plant, um, I believe uh, it was beyond like beyond 2040, like they have, um, a long range planning document where they explain how are we going to have the resources we need to meet energy needs in the future. And it's a, usually a 20 year forward looking plan. And, um, the, the most recent one issued in 2017 would have been looking 20 years ahead. So like 2037 and they had, they, they made no, uh, in that document, they had no, ex- they were expecting coal strip and their ownership in it to be extending beyond 2037. Mm. So historically, Avista has not been in line with where other utilities are going. That's changing a little bit now um, because Avista may merge with Hydro One, which is this Canadian utility. And um, if that goes through, um, uh, a settlement has been reached among the parties to that merger and, um, part of that settlement would, um, require Avista to, uh, it's a little technical, but like depreciate their interest in coal strip earlier, which would potentially set them up to get out of coal strip earlier than otherwise. Hmm. This might be a little bit off track for the Idaho Conservation League, but on an international scale, I am curious about, you're talking about being, um, them joining forces with a Canadian, um, company. How, how is Canada on coal? Are they also kind of divesting from those types of things, pointing in a different direction, investing in renewables? I have no sense for what Canada is doing. Yeah, it's a little... I, I wouldn't be the best person. I, I haven't tracked super closely, but, like, what I do know is that, like, there are differences province to province. Some um, have made real strong strides to get out of fossil fuels, Um uh, Ontario is one of them, which is where, uh, Hydro One's energy company is based. Um, I think in general, Canada is, as a nation is moving away from fossil fuels, but there are different like policy mechanisms that each province are using. And, um, I don't think I could actually like give an informed sort of understanding of where like Canada as a whole is at. Fair enough. So kind of, um, kind of before we switch on to the next topic here, I'm just curious, you know, that, that was a great kind of technical deep dive into what's going on. And then 
talking earlier, how we discussed earlier with Shelby, you got to take that information and, and talk to our members. Um, are in the next couple months, couple years, are there ways that our members can, can get involved or, or weigh in on this issue or what's, what's in store for folks who care about this? Yeah, I think, so Shelby and I are working on how do we translate that or how do we direct people in a way? And to some extent, like we're still working together as, um, Shelby's getting up to speed, but I think there will be opportunities. There are always opportunities to comment to the Public Utilities Commission, but one thing that we'll probably also stress stress in addition to that is there are so many ways that you, in your own personal capacity, can like make a dent in climate change or can save on your electric bill. And so, I think it's really important that we'll probably engage folks on, you know, here are the like best ways that you can reduce your energy bill, and that can really have a huge impact on air quality and climate change. And, um, and I think it's just, we're at a point where, um, we can't, like, we really can't ignore climate change. And I think one thing that I've really thought about, um, I think is maybe like a helpful way to deal with the stress of like, it's such a big issue. And how can I, as an individual deal with that is like, right. You have to kind of balance in my mind, like you can't think about it all the time or else you're going to have an anxiety attack and you can't do everything. But like, just in my mind, like focusing, like when you are going to think about it or when you have like figured out, like what are the top changes I could make? You're going to focus on that. Like, um, you'll really direct, like you can direct all your energy to the things you know you can do and, and let that be that. So I guess I'm, I'm trying to get at, like, I think I can feel overwhelmed, like, and so sometimes I need to like, just focus on what I can do and do it passionately. So whether that's like, take a shorter shower, turn off all the lights, like, um, you know, hopefully, you know, like, maybe transition to like an electric car, um, ride your bike to work, ride your bike to work, right? Plant-based diet. Focus. Yeah. Plant-based diet. Focus on those like most impactful things you don't have to do everything, but just focus on what you can do and what will have the most impact. And, um, and, and try and like, I I don't know. I guess I want to also say that like, it is important to like have that passion about it that like, we are at a point where like we need to make like significant changes, but not to let that like make you have an anxiety attack, but like to still take it that seriously when you can in the right ways. Yeah. And I, my two cents on that too is, um, I think that was a great summary and, you know, I would say that we're hopefully this episode gets published, um, before the elections and folks are still doing these debates and town halls and, you know, vote, in part based on climate change and, and what, what do these, uh, people looking to fill, uh, elected positions? What do they think about climate change? How worried are they? What are their solutions? Um, this, this is a, this is a big issue. All hands on deck. Um, <laughs> that UN report that just came out was not that optimistic. Um, and so I think it's important that, you know, vote what matters. Um, <laughs> yeah. So November 6th folks. Yeah. And, like, one other point is, like, I think it can be, um, some people are disheartened when they think about it in, like, a way that, like, well, if, you know, only the United States 
does something on climate change, or if you only, as a person, as like an individual, or if only Idaho is like taking some action on climate change, it won't actually, right, solve the problem. But I think that's totally the wrong way to think about it. Like, I feel in my mind that we have like a moral obligation, right? Like we have all contributed to this problem. So regardless of whether like my turning out the light or riding the bike actually solves the problem, like I have a moral debt that needs to be paid up. And so like, I think it's disingenuous to say, oh, we shouldn't do anything at all because, you know, Idaho can't fix the problem. Like the changes we make in Idaho won't make a dent in the problem. It's like, that's not the way to think. Like thinking about it as like a moral debt, like we all have to pay up for what we have contributed, regardless of whether our action actually solves the problem. It also seems really defeatist to be like, I can't make a difference, I can't solve the problem, so there's no use in me trying. Right. Because I agree with you that throughout the course of history, big changes have and do happen. And the way that we can participate in it, even if it is on a micro level, can do things like influence the people around us. You know, they see you riding your bike every day, maybe they'll start riding their bikes. And change sometimes starts small, and even at a state level, if we can make a big difference and set an example... Um, as a person, as an organization, as a state, as a country, all of that's good and leads to a better outcome for everybody. Totally. Yeah. Mm. Man. I practiced that beforehand. Oh, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> you guys can't see this. Haley's reading from a paper. <laughs> no, we're, uh, it's pretty clear we're not that scripted. <laughs> um, okay, cool. Well, that, I really appreciate that. It's kind of, you know, down here in Boise, we know you guys are working on these issues, but it's it's rare that we get this chance just to sit around and, and really take the deep dive. So thank you for that. Um, and that that's not the only kind of big issue that you have going on, though. Another thing that folks probably see pop up on our Facebook, on our Twitter, like social media blog, is is the rail bridge. Um, so kind of bring us same thing, man. Let's take this this deep dive. Yeah. Let's talk about the rail bridge. Yeah, let's start three thousand feet and then dive in. Yeah. In the beginning, there was coal fired in. Yeah, so in North Idaho, um, multiple rail lines traverse the panhandle of the state uh, on their way from the Midwest or Canada towards the West Coast, where a lot of things are refined or transported for distribution or sent overseas. And, um, the rail lines sort of converge in the Sandpoint Spokane area. It's called the funnel because, um, they all converge there and there's, um, they're sort of funneled down into a very like tight corridor where, um, it's hard to get, it's hard to facilitate. Um, it can be hard to facilitate train traffic. Anyways, in Sandpoint, we have railroads all through town and one of the most predominant ones is the one that actually crosses Lake Ponderay. And um, it's fairly long. I'd say it's probably... It's at least a half a mile, at least. And uh, it totally crosses um, a huge portion of the lake. And um, trains um, are a really good form of transportation because they're often more efficient than sending something by truck or airplane. Um, but that the benefits of that efficiency can be outweighed um, if what you're transporting is really hazardous. So 
trains in North Idaho are often carrying um, oil or um, hazardous chemicals and substances that um, can be super dangerous to humans and the environment. Um, the trains also carry coal. And so, like, a big concern historically in North Idaho has been, like, what happens when one of these trains derails over the lake or what happens when it derails in Sandpoint or over the Rathdrum Prairie Aquifer, um, which supplies water to um, over 400,000 people in the North Idaho, Eastern Washington area. So super big concerns and risks of transporting things by rail in that in our part of the state. Can I ask you a quick yeah. question? How often do derailments happen? Do you have a gauge or sense of that? Um, Is it more of like a, if, like, if this happens, it would be a real bad situation, or is it like, trains are falling off the tracks everywhere? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, We actually had three significant derailments um, about a year ago in the spring. And um, so it's not uncommon. And um, actually, BNSF just had a derailment, not in Idaho, but in Iowa, where uh, an oil train derailed and spilled a bunch of oil in, uh, I think it was the Boone River. I might be wrong about that, but um, they're not, they're, uh, they happen, so. That's really fascinating. Three times in a season is, like, way more than I would have guessed, because trains look like... And I... Pretty set. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I wonder too. I mean, I, I I can't think of the study off the top of my head, but I think a lot of our infrastructure is aging and it's not receiving the funding and the resources to keep it up. And so, you know, three derailments a season is that. I don't want to sound alarmist here, but like as these tracks continue to age and they don't see the improvements that they they need to see. I mean, is is that number going to slowly tick up? Um, I, I don't know what the track, the conditions are like in, in Sandpoint or, or throughout the state, but, you know, I think if, if we're not doing what we need to do to keep them up, you know, if we're just building new tracks and letting the old tracks deteriorate, are we just inviting disaster? Mm-hmm. Um, interesting to think about. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we actually, and it's hard because... Um, there's very limited independent inspection to make sure that like the tracks and the trains are up to snuff. So like I the Idaho public utilities commission is our state agency. That's in charge of regulating trains in state. And, um, they have max, like maybe two inspectors for the whole state. And so they can't be in North Idaho all the time. So there's often times where, you know, and there are only in, there are a number of things you can ex- inspect on a train. Like you can be inspecting like the type of thing they're transporting, or you can be inspecting the track itself. Um, they only focus on one thing, so they're. Um, I don't believe they actually uh, do. Uh, I don't think they are focused on track inspection itself. I think they're focused on um, the actual substances that are coming in, but. Um, we, we we have really limited capacity, even from a federal level, to actually be inspecting um, independently the trains up north. So it, that's totally the right point that, like, infrastructure just generally in our country is deteriorating. And um, right now we're essentially relying on the railroads to be good actors and be 
doing sufficient work to make sure that everything is, you know, properly built out and um, working right. Hmm. Interesting stuff, man. Yeah. You guys uh, leading the charge on, on climate change and protecting Lake Bonneray and um, it's impressive stuff for an office of three. And was the so then the question about uh, the train in standpoint is whether they're going to build another one. Is that right? Yeah, another bridge. Another bridge. So like the proposal is by BNSF, and they're proposing to build a track parallel, a, a rail bridge parallel to the existing one. So uh, they would build it in addition to. So there would be two railroad bridges across the lake instead of just one. And. Um, from our standpoint, what we've been asking the whole time is, like, we want to make sure that we understand the impacts and the risks of what that would mean. And to this date, um, uh, the agencies that have would have to permit this and BNSF itself have not agreed to conduct environmental impact statement, which is sort of like the gold standard of environmental review that would really tell you in a certain way, like, what all what those impacts might be and what the trade-offs of having a bridge would be. And so we want to make sure that before we go down that road, we know what we're getting into. Seems, seems fair. (laughs) Fair. Yeah. (laughs) Um, well, you know, I know you guys are working on a host of issues and so we're kind of just brushing the surface here. Um, but you know, it's great to hear from you guys. Uh, we'll have to save all the, the other news for another episode. Um, I think you guys, you do have an event coming up, though, sometime soon. Um, Give us the rundown. What's going on? Yeah, next month on November 8th, that's a Thursday, from 4.30 to 8.30, both Friends of Scotchman Peaks Wilderness and ICL will be partnering and putting on Wild Night uh, for Wilderness. And that event will be held at the new brewery in town in Sandpoint called Matchwood Brewery. Mm And during that event, we'll enjoy good food and brew from Matchwood, live music from Oak Street Connection, an online and live art auction cool, uh, featuring some of our local artists, as well as a fun raffle. So, yeah, come out. It should be a wild time. (laughs) Nice. Right on. Um, Yeah, and November 8th, you said? Yep, November 8th. Okay. And also for all you Sandpoint people who are not yet ICL members but interested in becoming one, I bet the Shelbsters would be stoked to talk to you about the benefits of ICL membership at that event. Yeah, I would love it. So. Just letting our listeners know, we haven't officially decided on Shelbster yeah. as a nickname. It's approved. <laughs> it's going forward, man. I'm waiting for the EIS to come out. <laughs> awesome. Um, speaking of members... Uh, you know, this is our chance to say thank you to all of our members. You guys make this podcast possible, along with all the work that we do. So to all of our existing members out there, thank you guys so much. To all of our new members, especially our new Sandpoint members, who are going to come talk to Shelby on November 8th at Matchwood Brewery. Um, you guys rock. Welcome to the ICL family. And to all of our listeners, if you enjoy listening to the Wild Idaho podcast, uh, we'd love to hear from you. Share it with your friends, uh, rate it on iTunes, and let us know what you think. And if there's other topics you want to learn about and uh, hear more about, we'd love to hear from you. Boom. Uh, so with that, Matt, Shelby, thank you guys for coming down. Thanks for being on the podcast. And, uh, yeah, we'll see you guys next time. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Thanks.